Good morning, church. And it's great to be with you all. Um, I'm thinking, gosh, it's the very last few days of August already. And it's hard to believe that September is just around the corner. And I know that a new school year has begun for a lot of our children. And I know for Nathan and I, uh, we live really close to UH. And so we're always able to tell when school is in session or on break because after 8.30 in the morning, there's never any parking on the street. So um, that tells us that. And also traffic, right? Traffic is an indicator um, when we drive to and from work. Yes. <laughs> and I was sharing, um, actually a few weeks ago, I was sharing with Steve Avalana that um, he teaches at Roosevelt High School. And I said, that's usually the way that I go to work in the morning. I take the back roads. I don't get on the freeway. And he was reminding me, he says, well, make sure you pray for school and my students, yeah, when you pass. And, and I said, yes, of course. Um, however, <laughs> I have to say that every morning when I do the drive past Roosevelt, I am challenged. Um, I don't road rage, but I do something, I mutter. I don't road rage. Yes, I don't road rage, but I mutter. I mutter to myself. And that's because of all the illegal maneuvering that goes on um, in front of the school. And Steve knows about it, too, right? That as I'm driving down that road, parents are coming down on the other side of the street. And they do this special thing for Roosevelt students. I think they, they do this illegal U-turn. They cut right in front of you, and then they U-turn, and then they, they get to drop their kids off right in front of the street. And so um, sometimes... I am not that nice, and I pretend I don't see them because I don't want to contribute to um, what they're doing that's wrong. And other times when I'm driving um, past one of the intersections, it says no left turn till after uh, 8.30 in the morning, and then people make left turns anyway. <laughs> and then I'll mutter, uh, oh, yes, I guess we just didn't see the left turn, no, the no left turn sign over there, right? So those are my mutterings, okay. Um, so anyway, I confess, the early morning traffic can bring out the evil and the ugly and the unkind in me on many mornings. And I think that we probably all have something that we can admit brings out a side in us that is less than desirable, at least in God's eyes, right? So what might that be for you? The evil, the ugly, and the unkind. And yes, today that's uh, we're, facing, we're facing that topic today and, and those words, and we're going to explore that together. Why? I mean, it's the extreme opposite of who Jesus is, really, right? And it's opposite of what God desires for us. It's nothing new. It's a force that's been around for ages, and perhaps, perhaps that's a good enough reason. It's still around and one that is in full force in the world that we live in today, I mean, even more so, right? And that's why it's important that we spend time understanding these forces that oppose God so we can do our part in the hopes of curtailing it. So we've begun this new series, and this is the book that it's based on. It's um, Rich Falota's book, Good, Beautiful, and Kind. And this series is actually one that's designed to help us to live into wholeness, into beauty, into goodness and kindness by first understanding how fractured our world is, 
how fractured you and I are, affected by sin all around us, and how we can recognize and begin repairing the damage in us and our world to become whole in Christ. Friends, we live in a fractured world that impacts us. And if we are not paying attention, it can change us for worse. But it doesn't have to end up that way if we have some guardrails and some signs that we actually pay attention to. We live in a world of rules and regulations complicated by traditions and culture and politics and religion and race, sex, technology, all that. The list is endless. And as Pastor Rebecca, Rebecca kicked off our series last week, which I encourage you to go back and listen to um, if you haven't, you can do that through our website. She reminded us that rules kept people in order. They kept the Israelites in order before Christ. However, with the arrival of Jesus, he simplified the many rules into one that encapsulates them all and it's much easier to remember. Simply to love one another as God loves us. If it were only that simple. So I want to read for you, before we keep going, a poem that is in this book um, and kind of resonates with me. So just listen to the words. It's written by uh, Langston Hughes, and it's just called Tired. I am so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. We can't just cut things in half and look, right? Unfortunately, life is not designed to be simple. Humanity has underscored its propensity to sin, and really, our definition of sin today has loosened up quite a bit. What will we tolerate? A lot. A lot of sin is what it actually comes down to. In a world that strives to be good and kind and beautiful, with people who are good and beautiful and kind, in its simplest terms, Sin is failing to love. So ultimately, we are fractured because we fail to love. Now, the good news is that Jesus came to save us, redeem us, and recover us from our sin. But while the promise of Jesus' return is assured, we are waiting in that already but not yet stage. And in the meantime, it is part of our responsibility as believers, to do our best to continue to overcome forces of darkness, a.k.a. sin, that lead us astray and away from God. So it's important that we're able to recognize sin and its impact in and around us, so that how we live and what we choose are aligned with Christ's ways. It is a constant battle of laws, versus love. Constant battle of laws versus love. And today's scripture passage helps us to know 
hopefully, how to identify and respond to the evil and the ugly and the unkind in life. Follow along with me as I read today's passage from Luke 13, verses 10 through 17, and I'm reading from the NRSV version. Um, so it should be in your sermon notes, or if you have a Bible app or your Bible with you, you can follow. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If I were to ask you some of the main themes in this passage, would you agree that it's a narrative about healing? Okay. And how about, how about controversy over Sabbath keeping? Yeah. What about fracturedness? Maybe even brokenness. And we've talked about brokenness um, and being broken people before, but fracturedness is kind of a new word. And in general, when I think about fractures, fractures tend to separate and they divide. Fractures can cause pain. Fractures need time to mend. Fractures are subtle, but sometimes just as painful, and they sometimes exist even before we are aware of them. We all have fractures in or around us because we are not immune to pain, division, and mending. There are forces at work behind our fracturedness. And so sermon point number one, this is for your sermon notes, one of the forces of our fracturedness comes from, number one, sin and self-focus that turn us inward and away from God. Sin and self-focus that turn us inward and away from God. This particular passage is from Luke, Luke's gospel, which is filled with accounts of Jesus's healing people. And this gospel also emphasizes portraying Jesus's truth and his heart. And his heart was all about being compassionate for the poor and the marginalized, which this poor woman certainly would be considered. So right away, we see Jesus living out these two missions of his. He's teaching God's truth in a synagogue, presumably to a Jewish population, and he pauses everything to heal a woman afflicted with a crippling back ailment. 
What is the problem with that? To Jesus, there is no problem. But to the leader of the synagogue, tasked with keeping order in the service, this leader is outraged. But he's intimidated enough by Jesus that he won't confront him directly. Instead, he speaks in general to all the people there, reminding them of the fourth commandment. And I know I've done this before too. Like you have something to say to one person, but you don't want to confront that one person. And so if we're part of a group, I'm just going to make this general statement to everybody of what's wrong. And then that way, I don't feel so bad like about confronting you and making you feel bad. And then I won't make you feel bad either, right? If, yeah, okay. So anyway, you know how that goes, right? Um, so to the keeper of the rules, no work should be done on the Sabbath. And healing is considered work. This leader's righteousness needs to let everybody, especially Jesus, know this. This controversy of Sabbath keeping now becomes a controversy between two forces, law and love, good and bad. Now, ironically, the way that this passage is set up is to identify the woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years, alluding to some kind of spiritual hold on her, perhaps because of something she's done. This spirit of weakness, which the Greek word translates as weakness or powerlessness of various kinds, including sickness, was a common way to explain these long-term ailments that prevented one from participating and you know, being a part of what the norm in society was, ex- was back then or what was expected of the norm. It's important to note that whether you see her ailment as something spiritual, like Satan's bondage upon her, which is what Jesus called it, Jesus didn't see her as evil when he healed her, but rather he saw the illness that held her captive as evil for limiting her all those years. Various commentaries have described her condition as causing her spine to curve forward, and she is now labeled crippled. So I don't know if you can picture it, but I've seen these photos where they're, they're almost like bent over like this. And so you can't see, you, can't, you don't have mobility and flexibility, so she can't stand up straight to see around her. She probably hasn't had a good night's sleep in those 18 years because she can't lie down flat. I imagine her life was lived very much alone. We don't even know her name. She is that seen and that overlooked. Yet, she was also there at that gathering place. The story doesn't say that she came to be healed. Yet, even 18 years into this debilitating condition, she had her faith that brought her to worship time and time again. And I love the surprise reveal in this passage that the fracturedness appears not in the woman, per se, but in the leader of the synagogue. His sin is to have put the law over love and really focused on making himself look good as the gatekeeper or the leader. By his words and his outrage, it is evident that, metaphorically speaking, the leader is the one that is curved inward and unable to have good vision for goodness and beauty 
and kindness. His sin and his self-focus have turned him inward and away from God. While this bent woman is clearly suffering, she is suffering more at the hands of the people around her who have labeled her, who have ostracized her and forgotten her. The so-called powers and principalities that can further afflict and turn us away from God are in full force. And what I've come to understand is that Sin or forces of evil and ugliness and unkindness are their own mysterious cosmic force in this world. As human beings, we are caught in a struggle between these forces of evil that destroy life and the love of Christ that gives life. One is the enemy. One is the Savior. Just like the Savior... The enemy is always at work. These so-called powers and principalities exist to wreak havoc and tempt us away from what God would choose or want from us. And not to scare you, but the sobering reality is that we are more vulnerable than we think. It's our pride and our ego that make us think otherwise, especially when we feel strong in our own walk with Jesus. Number two in your sermon notes, another force behind our fracturedness. Beware, principalities and powers are always at work. So let's unpack this some more. Rich Velota's book defines powers and principalities as spiritual forces that become hostile, taking root in individuals, ideologies, and institutions with the goal for deception, division, and depersonalization. And I apologize because this would be a really good quote to put up here. And unfortunately, it slipped my mind at three in the morning. <laughs> so I will say it again slowly because it's, it's important. So, so powers and principalities are spiritual forces that become hostile, taking root in individuals and ideologies and institutions with the goal for deception, division, and depersonalization. Powers aren't exclusively evil, but when they are functioning as they are supposed to, they link God's love and the visible human experience within a circle of God's love. Until God's kingdom is fully realized upon Christ's return, we have to be vigilant about rejecting the harmful powers and allow ourselves to be redirected to Jesus's way. Practically speaking, powers and principalities rear their evil, ugliness and unkindness in our governments and leaders on all levels, in churches, sadly to say, especially as denominations choose sides, in schools, in multi-generations, among races and sexes, 
Sometimes it is about what these powers and principalities represent. Sometimes it is about what they are actually doing. For the most part, what deceives and divides and depersonalizes is not love, and is therefore sin. It can be behaviors associated with judgmentalism. Bigotry, selective moralism, entitlement, unlawfulness, lack of care for our environment, blasphemy, complicity, and on and on and on. These behaviors are sin that, when left unquashed, can lead us to think. That we know better than God, and start to rely on our own or other people's opinions and directions and influences. Take note that this passage, the failure to love, is taking place within the walls of the synagogue, the place where people are gathered to worship, the place where God meets them, even with Jesus present. And within the walls of this sacred place, the forces of powers and principalities will work to invade God's space and our own hearts. One of the most recent examples that we can all relate to has been around COVID, right? The masking or unmasking, the vaccines, the quarantine rules. There has been so much division and judgment on these factors that have actually caused relationships to end. Clearly, that is not God's way, but it is a victory for powers and principalities. We need to do better, and there is a remedy named Jesus. Several years ago, way, way back when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with my own spinal ailment. I was diagnosed with scoliosis, which many are familiar with. It's pretty common where your spine is curved. And so it, yeah. So it causes you to kind of, as you grow, you can kind of see it. You're not standing as straight as everyone else. And so、um, my sisters and my sister and I, we both had it, and she ended up having it so badly that in the eighth grade she needed to have surgery done and to correct it. So she did. And what they told me was, yours is not so bad. So we can just monitor you and see how it goes, and then maybe you won't need anything at all. And so as time went by, you know, I have to say, like, there's still, there's still like this stigma to it, this because physically you look different,、um, you're a little bit, you know, different with how you stand. Clothes don't fit as well, I think. And then on top of that, I have this other, this other issue with myself, where you know how your your rib cage goes out, well, mine goes in, and so it made it made it even worse to be a teenager and adolescent. Especially at PE time, when you have to go into the right, you have to go into the dressing room and everything. And so, there was already this force at work in my mind about how、um, I was already different and and less than other people. When I got to be a senior in high school, things changed. My scoliosis got way worse, and the doctor said we're going to need to. Do surgery on you, so you have a choice. You can wait till after you graduate, and we can do it then, or you can do it in your senior year. 
And for me, I really wanted to go to college, and I really wanted to have a normal college experience and not have interruptions. And so I chose to do it senior year, December 27th, <laughs> during Christmas break,、um, and spent time. You know, you have to in the hospital, and then at that time, I, I think it's very different now when you have the surgery. You actually come out with a plaster cast that's like an inch thick, so it's like the same kind of cast that when you were older, it's the big white ugly thing. So you're actually in a body cast wearing that. And so I had that, and the deal was wear it for six months, and then、um, you're supposed to wear it longer, but wear it for six months, and when you go to college, we'll just fit you with a fiberglass one, and so you'll still be like stiff, but you can go to college, right? So, so that was.、Um, Basically, you know what what I chose to do, and it's very humbling because you come home and you can't shower by yourself, and you're itchy. And the other thing was, in a, in your senior year, you're very aware about your appearance, and so I went to prom with a plaster cast on. I、um, the school I go to when you graduate, it's not something you can hide under graduation gowns, but it's the actual fitted holoku,、uh, right, a white dress. And so, thank goodness, ours was really、uh, was up to here, so I didn't have to worry. But it was still—I still looked really different. I mean, it was still very obvious there was something under my dress. And so, basically, it felt like I was wearing maternity clothes <laughs> to school, when all the other girls could wear, you know, really fashionable stuff. And so,、um, that might sound vain, but that's where I was at in senior year. I didn't know the Lord then, so. Um, anyway, so going to school, finishing up, and then going to college. The thing about that was that's all okay. There's nothing really、um, special about that in the sense that it was just something I went through. But what for me was about powers and principalities kind of coming in and doing their attacking in some way and really beating me down and.、Um, Turning me inward at certain points was that from the time I went to this doctor when I was a teenager to the time that I stopped going to him, he was sexually abusing girls. He was sexually abusing many girls, and I was only 13, and I would go to these appointments, and my parents, you know, I mean, they because they had no reason to think anything, they just drop us off. And I would just see things, and I would have to experience things that, in my mind, I really didn't know, because back then in the late '70s, nobody talked about this kind of stuff. Nobody said, "If someone does this to you, this is crossing the line." And so I would come home and say, "Mom, the doctor did this. It's really weird. It makes me feel uncomfortable." And my mom would say, "Well, you can't. You, what do you want to do? You can't turn him in or anything. You can't say anything." So. When you go, just do some other behavior. Like if he's right in front of your face, turn your head or whatever. Just you know, she would try to tell me like do these certain things, but you don't want to talk about it because there'd be so much shame and there'd be so much embarrassment and there'd be just right a whole、um, a whole lot of other bad things, right? So I didn't say anything, and that went on for years. And then when I went to college. And I thought, okay, you know, it's kind of behind me, right? I would talk about it sometimes with people. I'd say, yeah, I had this doctor, and I had scoliosis, and I had this, 
yeah, he was really weird. He would do these things. And nobody would ever say to me, like, oh, that's, that's crossing the line or that's abuse. I think because I would kind of say it in a way that was, like, uncomfortable laughing, like, huh, he did this. It's not weird, you know, instead of really maybe exhibiting these, these behaviors that it really affected me. And so sometimes I'd tell the story, and then one time came where I was with some really good friends that, are, that have been um, on my walk with me from the beginning. And when I told that story, I remember I was like minimizing it again and just saying like, this is what happened. And that was probably the first time somebody said to me, wait, what? Wait, do you know that that's abuse? Do you realize that? And so I think, and that was great for someone to actually like say it and, and say words to me that actually put it right there in front of me. The thing about it was, though, once they did that, there was a whole lot of work to be done to get to a place where I could feel like this wasn't my fault. I maybe could have done things different. Um, a really big one from this trauma was I was so angry at my mother. I was so mad at her, and she had already passed away, so she was gone. And I was so angry with her because I thought, wow, how come it was bad and you didn't, you didn't protect me? And I realized just from so much therapy and so much of just um, trying to talk it through with people that could walk with me and pray that in, in her own way, my mom had her own stuff, that it was just too big of a of fear for her at the time. And so, um, yeah, so, but that, that came like years after she had died that I had to sit there and deal with like, yeah, I'm really angry with her and I have all these issues. These are all those powers I'm talking about and principalities that come at you and you don't really know. And I had kind of just pushed them aside until somebody really said, this is the reality, Cheryl and you really should deal with it. The other trauma was when I became a mom to my daughter, and I was really having a hard time with that. I didn't really want a daughter. At the time, I thought, what's wrong with you? And it was because I thought, what kind of mom am I going to be to a daughter? What kind of mom am I going to be to a daughter? So there's all these things that happen in your mind, and these things that happened to me were not things that I caused. They were forces of evil, you know, from some doctor that did all of this. Um, but nonetheless, right, it took over a lot of my life and even me trying to um, identify with who am I, who am I really. So I share my story with you um, because in those years of trying, to, of trying to deal with that, I had to keep coming back over and over to that. Um, it was a power over me that it didn't just die just because I named it. I had to deal with it and face it. It is a power that every so often comes back. And I have to um, pray or just kind of talk some sense into myself about truths and untruths. But those are the kinds of havoc that these cosmic evil forces, whatever you want to call it, can play on us. Sometimes they're not within our control, but we have to be aware of it. 
because it made all the difference when I did start to deal with it. It made all the difference. So together, right, when we talk about things and we seek God's healing, we defeat the enemy. We might have to do it more than once, but we defeat the enemy by being in it together and talking about it. So despite how rampant sin is, know that God loved you, he loves you, and he loves me so much that he sent Jesus to give us a glimpse of what goodness and beauty look like with the promise of sharing eternal life in his kingdom one day. He loves us so much that as we wait, he's continuing to contend for us to be our best selves that he created. We see it in the resiliency of this woman who was bent over, who consistently showed up at the synagogue, not demanding or expecting to be healed, but hopeful, hopeful, and seeking relationship with God. Her desire to be close to God is more important to her than whatever baggage that she has carried and weighed, and that has weighed her down. And God sees that. And that day when Jesus is in the synagogue, he calls her to come so he can heal her. But he doesn't just stop there. Because of his ginormous love for humanity, he takes time to address the untruths that the leader is trying to push on the other believers who are present. He calls them out. Well, actually, he calls them hypocrites. And Jewish practice then consisted of making sure that all the animals were treated well. And so because they need to have water daily, right, on the Sabbath, the animals could be led out by a chain as long as nothing was actually lifted or carried. And water could be drawn for them, but you couldn't hold the bucket or anything for them while they were trying to drink. Hypocrisy, right? Jesus calls them out for not recognizing and admitting that if they prioritize and have that much compassion for their oxes and donkeys, then surely they can have compassion for another human being. Jesus is calling them to wholeness. So point number three in your notes, the force of our wholeness. Number three, Jesus' calling to self-awareness and confession before God. Jesus is calling us to self-awareness and confession before God. Whether you realize it or not, God is always calling out to us, especially when we are misguided or just plain wrong about something, or we are doing something we're not supposed to be doing. And the reason this self-awareness and confession is so important is because good relationships come from continually working on ourselves and communicating with others, especially when we have wronged someone or someone has wronged us. Once Jesus corrects the people in the synagogue, it says all his opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he had done. Whichever side they were on, Jesus helped and invited the people to know themselves better. Many of you might already know that I'm a huge encourager of emotionally healthy spirituality, and one of many of Pete Scazzaro's focus is to know ourselves so that we may know God. And the more we do to understand and work through our family history and our trauma and our feelings, 
the more our relationships with God and others are freed from meaningful relationship. Regardless of where you are in this journey of finding wholeness, the last point I want to leave you with so that you feel encouraged is point number four. The forces of our wholeness um, are that God's love covers the wounded and the wounding, people that are wounding. God's love covers the wounded and the wounding, covers everyone. Who better to understand and show us God's love than Jesus, who has wounded himself for those who have been afflicted by wounding. When Jesus healed this woman, it was with the intent to heal her of being bound, to set her free. And scripture says that when he laid hands on her, immediately she was able to stand up straight and begin praising God. We had not heard this woman talk, which is not uncommon for women during that time period. But when she is freed from her ailment, it's safe to say from her praising that she would go on to tell her story to others so that they too might believe. And whether that story is from the one who has been wounded or the one who has wounded others and recognized and confessed it, their voice becomes a powerful testament to the goodness and the beauty and the kindness of Jesus. This past week, I had the blessing and the honor of meeting with several of you um, because it's school break for me. And part of being on this pastor team, what makes serving so meaningful are the stories that you bring and that you share about how God has brought you through your own wounds. And whether you realize it or not, your voice telling your story can impact another to find the courage to take steps to face what might be going on in their lives that is bad, to invite them to relationship with God. So keep on taking the steps to share deeper with one another and support each other as we all continue this process of transformation that God has us on. So there are a couple of reflection questions this week. I um, invite you to just spend some time actually alone on them because they're kind of deep and um, it's kind of hard, I think, to just share it in a, in a small group. So if there's um, something, too, that comes to mind while you're looking at the questions, something that I might have said today that was triggering, please, please reach out to myself or to Pastor Rebecca so that we can come alongside you to see how to best support you. Confronting the dark parts of humanity is not easy, nor is it desirable. And it is best done with someone that you trust and with people who can be praying for your journey to wholeness. Sobering news, folks. This is kind of a sobering Sunday sermon, I know. But the sobering news is that you and I carry sin because by nature we are sinners. It's part of being human and it will always challenge us. But the good news again is to remember that Jesus came this beautiful story of healing a woman who was disabled to new life was foretelling of God's own story of sending Jesus to be broken and to carry the sin for all so that there would be wholeness for everyone when he returns. This poor woman, limited in mobility, was seen by Jesus and declared healed where she could stand up straight, look into the eyes of Jesus, to proclaim the glory of God. 
Her story is a story of redemption. And her voice is a voice of liberation from the powers and principalities. She is a testament to the kind of goodness and beauty and kindness that God desires for all of us. I want that. I want that for you. Together, we can come before God and he will journey with us on this. So let's pray. God of righteousness and mercy, God of grace, to know that you are the creator and advocator of all that is good and beautiful and kind brings us so much comfort and hope, especially in a world that is plagued with forces that try to challenge and undermine and destroy and distort. Father, may we be reminded that when temptation comes, and it will, to do what is good and pleasing in your eyes rather than to turn away from you. Give us strength to turn towards you. Give us discernment and skill to see the powers and principalities that try to pull us away from you. Equip us with courage to stand tall and face what is evil and ugly and unkind for the sake and the glory of your kingdom. We know that our world is fractured in so many ways and we ask that you help us to continue growing into how to love others the way that you do. It's not always easy, but it has to start somewhere. We pray for that willingness to love the wounded and even those who are wounding others. You would. And that is reason enough. Father, I do pray if there's anyone here who has heard something today that is moving them to give their lives over to you, I ask that you would just come alongside them now and just help them to pray this prayer silently and repeat these words. Father, I desire to be part of your family. I confess that I am a sinner and ask for your forgiveness. Come into my heart. Dear Jesus, and Lord, for all of us who hear your word and desire to grow closer to you, we bring all that we are in this moment to you, knowing that you receive us with great love and compassion. It is so good to be in life with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.